0: This is the Fighting Through Podcast, episode 91. Kisses on a
1: postcard. Early on a June morning in 1940, when my brother Jack was 11 and I was just 7, we became evacuees, vacies, and were carried off to another world. The
0: Battle of France is over. The battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us.
1: It's 1940, the last soldiers have just come back from Dunkirk, the Battle of Britain is about to begin, and Britain's going to be bombed. And what she did is she said, I'm going to give you a secret code. And she handed them a postcard, and on the postcard it said, dear mum and dad, arrived safe and well, love Jack and Terry. And then it was addressed to uh, her back in London and the kids are like what's the code what's the code Plymouth was famously bombed in the war Dad was actually caught up in the bombing
2: Have you got any gum chum?
3: (laughs) Hey you speak American Give me a
4: kiss Billy Oh, Henry, give your mum a kiss before you go to work.
2: Over there, there's a German plane. Look, it's ever so low. Oh my, oh my. Look at all those rockets going up. That'd be the Royal Navy in Devonport. Docks giving them what for. Come on,
5: boys. Oh, hey, hey, calm down,
6: children. That's enough. Oh.
1: God, tis not possible.
6: Will anything be left? <gasps>
7: look,
2: look at that one. Look, there will be one of them caught in the searchlight. Foster, <laughs> oh, yes. tis hell on earth. Tis the inferno come
7: to punish us. Not us, Miss Sam.
1: I was the luckiest of children. I had two childhoods. My earliest memories are of rattling trams in pre war southeast London, Deptford, crowded and grimy. That was my playground. Us kids, we lived in the streets, gangs of us on every corner, in and out of fights constantly. A ball and a bike were essential from the age of five. A vehicle disturbing our games of football or cricket was a rarity. There were no parked cars because none of our parents owned one. Then came the war and my other childhood. Early on a June morning in 1940, when my brother Jack was 11 and I was just 7, we became evacuees, vakis, and were carried off to another world.
0: Hello again, and I wish you a very warm, musical World War II welcome to the Fighting Through Second World War podcast. I'm Paul Cheel, son of Bill Cheel, whose World War II memoirs have been published by Pen and Sword in Fighting Through from Dunkirk to Hamburg. The aim of this podcast is to hear family stories, memoirs, and interviews with veterans in all the countries and all the forces. I dare you to listen. Just recently, I've cried so much with sorrow. I've cried so much with laughter. And if you could cry from smiling too much, then surely I'd be doing that too. Because that's the effect that binging on kisses has had on me the last month. I'm talking about Kisses on a Postcard by the late Terence Frisbee. And today I'm interviewing his son, Dominic Frisby. And what an absolute corker of an episode, I can promise you. In the intro, you heard some fleeting glimpses into what's on offer. Dominic's work is full to bursting with Dunkirk spirit, steam trains and all the best of World War II Britishness. As the kisses on a postcard musical charts the lives of two young British evacuees during World War Two. Today's episode brings to life so much that we've previously heard about in the Fighting Through podcast, rationing, the blitz, evacuation of children to faraway places, and never ever was an episode better timed to coincide with world events. Dominic Frisbee is a British author, comedian, and voice actor, and he's a financial guru. So, when I was preparing for this interview, I wasn't sure whether I was going to talk about books, bitcoin, or banter. But as soon as I'd listened to Kisses on a Postcard, I just knew it was going to be none of the above and all about, well, kisses. Hello Dominic, welcome to the Fighting Through podcast
1: and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks very much Paul and I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to be talking about this project.
0: It's been quite a long trek
1: bringing this project to fruition hasn't it? It's been an extraordinarily long trek and it's it's a story that my father wrote, Terence Frisbee, and he first wrote it in the mid to late 1980s and... I've, we both were just madly in love with it, and this is the latest incarnation. What's the background to the story? It's the story of his time as an evacuee in World War Two, when he was seven years old and his brother was 11. They were sent from their family, from their home in Southeast London, uh, to escape German bombing, and they were sent all the way down to Cornwall. And this was 1940. And they would then spend the whole of the war in that in a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere in Cornwall.
0: We're going to play one of the songs in a minute, Dominic. Um, Perhaps you could give me the backdrop to it.
1: It's 1940. The last soldiers have just come back from Dunkirk. The Battle of Britain is about to begin, and Britain's going to be bombed. And so this directive comes out from. Government that every child in the cities around the country is to be evacuated for their own safety. And my dad was seven, and his brother Jack was 11. And the story begins with mum tying a, they had little labels tied around their necks with their names on it. And the story begins there with mum tying the labels on their neck. Um, nobody knows where the kids are going, who's going to take them in, how long they're going to be gone for. And you can just imagine the terrible wrench that that must have been on parents and children around the country. You're sending your kids away and you have no idea if you're ever going to see them again. And so my grandmother tried to turn the whole thing into an adventure for them. And what she did is she said, I'm going to give you a secret code like the secret service and she handed them a postcard and on the postcard it said, dear Mum and dad arrived safe and well, love Jack and Terry. And then it was addressed to uh, her back in London and the kids are like, what's the code? What's the code? And mum says, when you get there, you're to write the address of where you end up on this postcard. And then you're to put one kiss, if it's horrible, and I'll come straight down there and get you. You put two kisses, if it's okay, and you put three kisses, if it's nice, and then I'll know. So that was their code. Mum then took them along with everyone else in their school, down to the local uh, train station in Deptford. And they were put on the train, along with everyone else in their school. Dad loved trains, very excited to be on this steam train. And you can just imagine that scene, all those mums and dads on the platform, waving goodbye to their kids, and the train pulling away, and you never knowing if you're going to see them again. And the train goes off, and it crosses through london they've diverted the track so it actually went from deptford all the way through round clapham junction and then off through surrey and wiltshire and dorset along that line there all the way to cornwall and at Lisgard the train stopped and they were herded off the train and they were put on buses and the buses fanned out into various villages in the area around Lisgard, and that school creek road secondary was was broken up for good And dad and his brother, this was the other thing they were told, whatever happens, you stay together. So dad and his brother, along with 40 or 50 other kids from his school, were taken into this little village called Dobwalls, about seven or eight miles from Liscard. Oh no, probably about four miles from Liscard. And they were herded into the village hall. And there are all these strange Cornish people with strange Cornish accents all standing round. And they were made to stand in the centre of the village hall. And the great expression at the time was, I'll take that one there. That expression became part of the lexicon. I'll take that one there. And they were literally, the kids were picked out like like cattle in a cattle market. And as it turned out, dad and his brother were picked out by a Welsh couple who'd moved uh, down to Cornwall. This is when they've just arrived at the cottage. Um, There was no lavatory outside lav and all that. Yeah. Um, And this first song uh, that we're going to play takes place on the first night when they arrive at the cottage and the two boys are alone. They're top and tailed in a bed and they're sitting there by candlelight uh, trying to decide how many kisses to put on their postcard.
2: How many kisses? I vote three. What would Mum and Dad think of it here? Don't know. No electricity. They wouldn't like that. I don't care. There's no bathroom. I don't care. Outside laugh, all they have. I can't go in an outside laugh. I don't mind, I don't care. What if it's freezing cold out there? That's what the pot's for, don't you see? I vote one. I vote three. In it. I don't care. Kisses on a postcard, we must write something we've got to do tonight. Kisses on a postcard, what will they show? Only Mum is going to know. What about Gwyn? Gwyn's not bad. Even though you can see he's mad. Auntie Rose, what do you say? She says weird things, but she's okay. Not Uncle Jack, though he plays rough. Called my hair, called me Scruff. Just a solid postcard, what do we do? I still say. Lesson three, Mum and Dad will think it's rotten here. They'll be worried. Yeah, well, there's the trains, they're good. And the station, right next to us. That's terrific. Hey, wait, I've just remembered. Hens! What about hens? Eggs, stupid. Real eggs. Not that horrible powdery stuff. Eggs for you, eggs for me. Eggs for breakfast, supper and tea. Poached or baked, scrambled or fried. Why not? Mum only set up to three. But don't you see? The more kisses we put, the more happy they're going to be. Yeah. It's terrific here really, isn't it? Like being on holiday, only there's no seat. We don't have to stop at four. Let's do hundreds! Yeah! Kisses on a postcard, one by one. All round the edges, this is fun. Kisses on a postcard, squashed up tight. Telling Mum that we
0: Dominic, how did the thinking evolve to get this from your
1: dad's original memories to where it is today? Dad used to talk about it, and he wrote it originally as a series uh, of memories, if you like, as a radio play uh, in the mid-1980s. And it was broadcast on Radio 4, and it got the biggest response that anyone in the BBC radio department could remember in terms of letters from listeners. And dad would even get letters from people in Germany who had been evacuated to escape allied bombing. Wow. And we actually, uh, last year I was on holiday uh, with a group of friends. We were skiing and we had to drive from the ski resort back to um the airport in geneva so i played them the first hour as we were driving back and this was you know the first scene when mum's saying goodbye to her kids and they're all saying goodbye and this was just as um putin had invaded ukraine and everyone in the car said this is exactly what's happening in ukraine now yes so the story even though it's about two boys from london in world war 2 the story of evacuation and war and is is universal Yes. Dad wrote this thing as a radio play and it was actually, they actually broadcasted a record record number of times. And then it was optioned to be a film. Uh, Ken Loach and various others optioned it to be a film and it got stuck in development hell. And dad's friend was a chap called Jeremy James Taylor, who'd formed uh, he'd founded the national youth music theater way back in the day. And Jeremy had always been saying to dad, you should turn this into a stage musical. And dad was going, no, no, it's going to be a film. And then one time they were both keen golfers and they were playing golf in North Devon. And they came uh, into the clubhouse afterwards. And there was a proprietor of the theatre Royal Barnstable was in the clubhouse. And he said, Oh, have you two got a project for me? And they looked at each other and said, Oh, well, as a matter of fact, we do. And they hadn't, dad was a, member of this thing called the stage golfing society, which is basically for unemployed actors and theatricals to go and play golf. And um, there was another guy in the stage golfing society who was a chap called Gordon Clyde and Gordon wrote great comic songs. So dad said to Gordon, would you write the music? And so dad wrote the book, Gordon wrote the music and Jeremy would direct it. And Gordon so they, they put this production on in Barnstable in 2003 and that's when I fell head over heels in love with it.
0: Oh, so that's 20 and, years ago.
1: Yeah. 20 years ago. Gosh. And I remember it was just, it was a sort of community theater project. It was professional actors in the main roles and the rest of it was all played by amateurs, but I've just never seen anything so wonderful in the theater all my life, but it wasn't the finished project pro- product yet. You know, to get a musical really good takes years and years of development sometimes. Dominic, I'm just
0: going to divert from there for a minute because I want to cover a little bit more of the story and introduce one of the characters. Um, you've done, you've done amazingly well to get the cast of singers and actors together to do this, because you managed to land John Owen Jones as the the lead in an uh, in uncle Jack, and of course he was voted the best ever Jean Valjean in Les Mise. Um. And you've you've also got Katie Seacombe, Marsha Warren, Rosie Cavaliero, Evelyn Hoskins and many others. So they're all names that uh, a lot of people will have heard about. Um, But moving over to Uncle Jack, uh, tell me a little bit more about
1: his character. He was a plate layer on the Great Western Railway and he'd been a soldier in World War One. His name was uh, he was known as Uncle Jack. He'd been a soldier in World War One. And he'd survived a thing called the Mammoths Wood Massacre, which was when the Welsh Bantams, who was a regiment, and I think they were all below the height of five foot four, and the Welsh Bantams had come up against the Prussian Guard, who were all over six foot. And this was one of the great massacres. When when Uncle Jack would later tell the boys the story of this, of this encounter, they the boys thought it was really unfair that such short men should come up against such big men. And Uncle Jack would say, it doesn't matter. Everyone's the same height. When a bullet hits him, he's horizontal. Yeah, but he was a f- because of his experiences in World War One, and his he was a Welsh coal miner. He was a real old school socialist. Ernest Bevin was a big hero of his. Very anti-Tory, anti-war, anti-authoritarian. From that mentality, fierce, fiercely proud little Welshman, five foot height in height his wife was taller than him and she was just a gentle kind woman and when he'd gone back to his village in wales after world war one he was one of just 17 who had survived this mammoths wood massacre he was the only man from his village to come back to this village in wales and apparently everyone would just look at him all the women would just look at him and it just got too much the only man to come back to the village can you imagine and so that's why they uh, moved down to cornwall and he got a job as a plate there on the railway. Anyway, this was the couple that they were taken in by. They didn't know all this. They were just picked out, dad and his brother, were picked out at random by this couple yeah. and taken back to their house.
0: Another feeling and, of being, getting off a train and waiting for someone to pick you up. Years ago, I went on a French exchange visit when I was a, you know, teenager teenager doing french at school and I, I ended up in france waiting for this french lad to pick me up or the family to pick me up and i, I was waiting waited around half an hour before they arrived and in, in the meantime everybody else was coming and going and it's quite a a, a forlorn feeling that you get when you, when you're not sure what's going to happen to you so i mean that was that was in modern times really so i feel for these boys when they were doing what they were doing Gosh, and they They, didn't even know who was going to pick them up, did they? They didn't didn't have a name.
1: They knew nothing. The whole, thing were, you know, now you, everyone would have checks and all the rest of it. The whole thing was just totally random.
8: Come on, everybody, you've got to make a choice. So let's get on with it. Don't you, you worry, chairs don't be tears, you be afraid. afraid! I'll take A, we'll take they! Come with us, we can fit in three! Quick and small, brass and tall, All together in a cornish hall. Far
5: with me. I need some help. is the washing clothes and cooking in the scullery. Hoin oh, here sewing so there ready for the fair. Work is, is rough. rough, you look
6: tough summoners, you're, you're gonna, gonna need in. a lot of puff.
1: And you know, some of the children went on to have happy experiences. A lot of them didn't, and a lot of bad things happened to that evacuation to, to, to those evacuees. And I think generally speaking in the historical narrative of our country, the damage that that evacuation did to families and family institutions across the country is an untold story. And it left many people, you know, some people never saw their parents again. Other kids suffered terrible, terrible abuses, but dad, regarded it he would always call it his second childhood and you know he he regarded himself as very lucky by what happened to him but anyway they're picked out by this couple and they go back to their house and in the house there's two guys who've just been evacuated from dunkirk one of them's got one of them's got um shell shock he can't speak and you know the boys are terribly excited by these two by these two men and there's a canary in a cage. There's no electricity in the house. Just, just oil lamps. Wow. Uh, there's a warm hearth, and it's a tiny little cottage at the end of a row of cottages by the railway. And as I said, my granddad, dad's dad worked on the railways, dad and his brother, they loved the trains. They were terribly excited by these trains. Um, Auntie Rose and Uncle Jack had their own son, Gwyn, uh, who was about to become a soldier himself, a young man in his, I guess he was a late teenager or early 20s. Yeah. Um, And he was sort of funny and entertaining. And then outside there was a pig in the yard and chickens and woods with streams to dam, a a little coon, uh, a, a tor to climb. And dad and his brother looked around them and they thought they had died and gone to heaven. <laughs> they yes. They absolutely fell
0: in love. Was it something of an adventure playground for them compared with what they'd had in London?
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, he says when he describes his, his childhood in London, he just says there were no cars on the streets in those days because none of their families owned one. So he lived in the streets outside playing cricket and football and getting up to no good. He said he was in and out of fights constantly as a little boy. Yeah. Um, So, but it was a different type of, of adventure.
2: It's the old school!
0: Let's talk about how the kids settle into their newfound home because um it seems to me there's an evolution from enmity to friendship as time goes on. Here's a short clip illustrating how the uh conflict first started.
2: They come down here from London, so spikey and stuck up. They challenge us to take a on and say they'll do us up. So blow them smarty pants and kick them off the bum.
1: <laughs> Could you talk me a little bit through that? Well, what happened was the Vacky kids and the local kids fought all the time. And they would organise these massive fights. Dad would uh, record some of them. He, there was this amazing uh, snowball fight that they had One time, in I think it was there was was a there was a really bad winter one year. I think it was nineteen forty two was a really bad winter, and he talked about this out of control snowball fight. But they fought all the time, and the problem was is that the London kids were just savvier and they were you know the local kids were just a sort of little bit country bumpkin, if you like. Yeah. And so the London kids sort of had contempt for the locals, and the uh, local kids resented the pushy newcomers and dads said you know we were the gray squirrels they were the red squirrels and so they would you know organize football matches and cricket matches but every type of event they organized um the vacu kids would absolutely you know if they played football <laughs> it would be like 17 nil to the vacu kids that kind of thing <laughs> but anyway so you know there were all these fights but gradually over time things normalized. Um, but again, it must've been very difficult for the, for the families that took them in suddenly having these cockneys, you know, cockney kids in their, in their homes and must, you know, as difficult as it was for the, for the vackeys, it was also difficult for the locals. Yes. But everyone made do as best they could. And so, yeah, they fought and fought and fought. It's, it's quite
0: sad, really, because my dad, of course, was away in the war during this time, and it's interesting to contemplate how Dunkirk happened, Alamein, D-Day, and all all our young soldiers fighting for their lives and dying and being um, wounded. And yet, and yet these kids uh, at such a tender age just can't keep the peace, and do they really realise what's
1: going on well, over the other side of the world? Well, they know some of it. You know, those all the soldiers were real heroes to those boys. You know, they probably looked up to the soldiers like, like kids today look up to football players or something. Yeah you know, they were their heroes. And um in fact Gwyn, the son of Auntie Rose and Uncle Jack, would go off to war himself and he was eventually killed in action in Sicily when uh towards the end of the war. And that's one of the tragic stories within the musical is is within the stories is you know the loss of Gwyn Gwyn's death
0: that would have been 1943 then because my dad was uh, involved in the Battle of Sicily. Um, and in fact the last episode on this podcast was about a memoir from some guy who fought in Sicily.
1: Um, every event in the war takes place in the musical if you like but it's all seen through the eyes of this tiny Cornish village. Yeah, and so, for example, Plymouth was famously bombed in the war, and Dad was actually caught up in the bombing. They'd gone into Plymouth shopping, and they spent the first night of Plymouth being laid to waste in a in an underpass uh, on the railway. And then the next night they watched it being bombed, and the whole village just stood on the on the tour and watched Plymouth twenty miles away just being destroyed. And it's a terribly emotional moment in the scene
2: Uncle Jack is that what's happening in London to our mum and dad?
1: No, no, not nearly so London's enormous
7: Plymouth's small it just looks worse I
2: oh, know It's why we're all Vackies <laughs> Abide with me
3: Fast falls the time the darkness deepens, Lord, with me
6: abide, when
5: other helpers fail and
8: comforts flee, help of the
1: Another um, great moment in the war prior to D-Day was the arrival of all the American soldiers. And, you know, I thought dad was making this up, but we've since done some research and we found out it was true, but the regiment that was billeted on dad's village, the the American soldiers regiment that was billeted on dad's village, you know, this tiny village in Cornwall was a regiment from Louisiana and the soldiers were all black. It's one of the black regiments. And so dad, you know no one in cornwall in 19 you know people in england were foreigners but you know americans were from mars but black americans you know they were just uh you know from another world and dad said you know this guy from new orleans itself gave him a tap dancing lesson on a sheet of plywood outside the the um the gates where the uh, the soldiers were all billeted and um I mean, that's a good song we could play, is, is when the American soldiers arrive. We, we wrote this great number. We could play that one.
0: I love the G.I. episode in this story. Let's go for it.
6: Hi
2: there, kids. Well, hi there, kids. How you doing? She was right. They are all black. All right, I will. Have you got any gum, chum?
3: <laughs> hey, you speak American?
2: That American? You dig? What?
1: You talk the jive, Clive?
2: My name's not Clive, it's Alan. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we kids, we loved them. We wore their hats, chewed their gum, held their strange hands and ate their candy. We rode on their jeeps, tooth-loosening joyrides across the fields. We drilled with their rifles and learned their slang. I even had a tap-dancing lesson on a sheet of plywood at the army camp gates from a man from New Orleans itself.
3: Hello. How are you? Good day. We're soldiers from the U.S. of a. Pleased to meet you sir Pleased to meet you ma'am Pleased to meet you pretty lady We're here for Uncle Sam At your service this fine day Any questions please Please just say
2: so where the light have you flown in a plane are the cops and robbers up against us too are the cows
8: Cars. Have
2: you ever had a pasty?
8: No, we have not Is
2: it true that you eat dogs?
8: Only if they're hot Have you
2: crossed the Golden Gates? Have you climbed the Empire State? Have you ever smelt a scum? Why'd you call a tramp a bum? have steam trains, and you tell me chum. One last question Have you got any gum? Got any gum, chum?
8: We might have some
2: Any gum, chum?
8: Now don't all scrum
2: Any gum chum
8: It sure is yum You can chew it till your mouth goes numb
2: For any gum chum
8: This sure is fun
2: Any gum chum
8: Do the chewing hum
2: Yummy yum yum
8: Rum rum, pum pum
2: And And that is how you do do the the chewing
5: chewing hum. hum
8: refrigerators, oranges and peaches, eagles, buffalo bears and avocados a city called Chicago frightening tornadoes, tropics desert and snow, we've got rodeos, the branches, grapes upon the branches, we drink lots of Coca-Cola and there's ice to crush we've got Mormons, we've got Wakers, we've got towering skyscrapers but no privies for us our lavatories flush.
2: do you drink tea?
8: no sirree,
2: speak Cherokee
8: not frequently
2: Do you play billiards?
8: We shoot pool
2: Would you like a game of cricket? We
8: don't understand the rules
2: Do you know Clark Gable? Is Harper really dumb? Have you ever had a Hershey? Have you hit a home run? Please give me an answer Can you tell me, Chum? One last question Have you got any gum? Got any gum, Chum?
8: We might have some
2: Any gum, Chum?
8: Now don't all scrum it sure is yum. You can chew it till your mouth goes numb.
2: Go any gum, chub,
8: It sure is fun.
2: Any gum, chub,
8: Do the chewing hum.
2: Yummy, yum, yum.
8: Rum, pum, pum.
6: And that, that is, is how you do the, the chewing hum.
1: Elsie liked them too.
9: I think they're lovely boys.
1: One of the great scandals uh, at the time is Dad had this friend who was another evacuee, but she'd actually been evacuated from Plymouth, uh, called Elsie. And she would have been seven or eight years older than Dad. And so 15, 16, 17... Uh, At the time of the war and her mother had run off with a sailor or something and her father was somewhere in Burma. So just a lost girl. And it was a great scandal at the time, but many English girls became pregnant by American soldiers. And Elsie was one of those. She became pregnant by one of the GIs. And she didn't know who the father was. (laughs) 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 and um but and we've got a a a lovely we've adapted an old cornish folk song called sweet nightingale where you have one of the gis courting her that's a lovely song and um she just dreams of when she's pregnant of of that the soldier's going to come back and take her uh back to america and she's going to be a gi bride and of course it never happened and at the end of the war, she was going to be put in one of those homes for unmarried mothers yeah. and they emerged all over. And, but in the end, auntie Rose and uncle Jack actually took her in as well. Oh. They, they lost their own son, Gwyn. They were going to lose Jack and Terry who were going back to London at the end of the war. And they took in Elsie Yeah. and they would bring up that kid. Now the kid was a mixed race kid. And, um, you know, that would have been a big scandal. But we, I met an old lady a couple of years ago who was married to one of the boys who lived in the same row of cottages that dad was evacuated to. Yeah, Jimmy Peters was his name. And she was married to him. And she said, no, there was a big scandal and there was a a woman and she was unmarried and she had a mixed race kid and she verified it. That it had happened wow so so we thought that dad had been making up the thing that all the soldiers billeted there were black but they were it was true
3: hello there pretty lady and what's your name elsie Hello there, Elsie. Hello. I'm Don. Hello. Would you like a piece of candy, Elsie?
9: No thanks. Well, yes please.
3: <laughs> Here you go. Of
9: mm, chorus, lovely. You soldiers are so lucky. You got money, you got warm clothes, food, sweets. We ain't got nothing except empty stomachs.
3: And where are you going with that pail?
9: To get some milk.
6: Sweet
3: maiden so fair, with your golden brown hair, Do you hear that sweet melody flow? Yes,
9: I hear the fond tale of the sweet nightingale As she sings in the valley below As she sings in the valley below Brave soldier, so strong. Here you do not belong.
3: Let me carry your pail as we go, and I'll tell you the tale of the sweet nightingale as she sings in the valley below. As she sings in the valley below.
9: Have hands of my own, I shall do it alone, and along with you, sir. I'll not go for to hear the fond tale of the sweet nightingale as she sings in the valley below, as she sings in.
3: Afraid. Sit with me in the shade on this bank where the primroses grow, and we'll hear the fond tale of the sweet nightingale as she sings in the valley below. As she sings in the valley below.
8: So she sat herself down with him there on the
5: ground,
8: on the bank where the
5: primroses grow. And she heard the fond tale of the sweet nightingale as she sings in the valley below. did not agree to be married with speed, and to war and to fight he did go, and her sweet love was stirred when he never returned as she sang in the valley below.
0: Dominic, earlier on in the episode, you were talking about how the project evolved from those early days. And I paused things just to talk about Uncle Jack. So I'm going to pick up again now by repeating your
1: last few words, just so we can catch up on where we were. So they, they put this production on in Barnstable in 2003. And that's when I fell head over heels in love with it. It was just it was a sort of Community theatre project. There was professional actors in the main roles, and the rest of it was all played by amateurs. But I've just never seen anything so wonderful in the theatre all my life. But it wasn't the finished product yet. You know, to get a musical really good takes years and years of development. Sometimes. So Gordon had written these songs, but he'd also um, used a lot of music from the time, a lot of folk music, and reworded it. And there were various copyright problems, and it just wasn't quite finished. But then Gordon died in 2007 and so there was this sort of project but the music wasn't quite finished and dad got various other people he met and encountered to write songs and then they put it on again in about 2013 and it was still great but because the music had been composed by lots of different people it was just a little bit not uniform it was a bit um mishmashy if you like yeah so each song was good on its own grounds but as a whole it wasn't quite complete and so during the lockdown um and dad died in 2020 and i i found the um i came across when i was going through his stuff i came across the script and the cd and i just took it home and i put it on my desk and during the lockdown i you know it kept just looking at me on my desk and i was like i've got to do something with this if i don't do something with this nobody else is going to i have to do something without with this and i have one of the things i do is i write comic songs so i and i I write the words and my friend writes the music and so i turned to him uh, and his name's martin martin wheatley and i said martin i've got this project would you be interested in it and martin said oh well as a matter of fact my father was evacuated from uh, southeast london to cornwall as well gosh so the story touched him and so martin is a phenomenal musician and what we did is we kept all gordon's music and we just dropped everything else and then martin Wrote the rest of the music, but broadly speaking, in the style of Gordon, and so the final result is probably maybe thirty or forty percent written by Gordon, and about sixty or seventy percent uh, by Martin. Wrote the music, and I wrote the words. Well, wow. it's an incredibly accomplished production.
0: Where did you take it then? Because you you did the production at the theatre, and now now you've polished it off and updated it And how have you delivered that to the public domain at this stage of the game?
1: so when the lockdown came um i was sitting looking at this project and to turn it into a film would cost millions and millions of pounds and to turn it into a stage musical well it was the it was it was the lockdown it was COVID. you know you didn't know if the west end was ever even going to come back but even if it did you know again it would require millions of pounds which unfortunately i don't have and not only that if you did a stage version as soon as the curtain came down on the last night it's over yeah it's gone at least when you make a film it's there forever so i thought to myself i don't have the means to turn it into a stage motion i don't mean have the means to turn it into a film and even if i did have the capital you still need you know really powerful allies uh in the film and theater business just to make stuff work and i don't have those allies but i've had a lifetime working in sound studios, background in voiceovers. And I thought, and, and I'm terribly excited by the boom in podcasts that's been going on. Um, And so I just thought I'll, I'll turn it into an audio. Like it, originally it was a sort of audio book adaptation, but basically it's a podcast Yeah, and it's four and a half hours long, you know, basically 10 uh, episodes of about half an hour each. And you listen to it, as a podcast in episodic form and it's a sort of I suppose you'd call it a podcast with music yeah and it's got a cast of over 50 and we were able to get some quite big name stars because again it was the lockdown and they were all available and it's got a 15-piece orchestra and a lot of it was recorded we were gonna we were looking for a studio and the studio we had was really breaking my balls over COVID regulations and and it was just really problematic because they were, so, you know, you need to be two meters apart, all this kind of thing. And I was like, but, you know, it's an orchestra. You can't do that. with. an Anyway, I phoned up all the other studios at the last minute. And Abbey Road, um, the famous studio where the Beatles recorded all their stuff, probably the most famous studio in the world, had had a cancellation because, <laughs> funnily enough, a conductor had had to go into quarantine for two weeks because he tested positive for COVID. <laughs> and so they said, look, we'll give it to you at cost so the whole thing was recorded at abbey road wow. uh, not the whole thing but but all the music was recorded at abbey road yes and so um uh you know we've got this it's it's a basically a it, you know fifth cast of 50 25 kids 15 piece orchestra it's a huge uh epic production recorded at abbey road it's it's pretty special in that regard dominic i'll just
0: briefly interrupt to say If anybody wants to listen to this, it is on a podcast. So in the same way as you listen to my show, anybody can listen to what Dominic's talking about on a podcast player near you.
1: There's a website, kissesonapostcard.com, and from there it takes you to all the various podcast apps. And if you prefer CDs, you can order a CD as well.
0: Were there any stories that didn't make the final cut, as it were, that your dad shared with you?
1: they you know i wish he was alive today because i would mine him for more (laughs) stories and people ask me the the question that people always ask me is did did dad and his brother stay in touch with auntie rose and uncle jack yes yes and the in fact what happened is that um when auntie rose and uncle jack lost their own son Gwynne, uh and so dad and jack were going back to london end of the war and um they agreed dad and his brother agreed dad had won a scholarship to dartford grammar which was quite a big deal at the time so dad and his brother agreed that that his older brother jack would stay in cornwall with auntie rose and uncle jack and become their son while dad would go home right because it was only fair gosh um yeah, it makes me cry every time I hear that. But anyway, and that, that's a wonderful scene when they write this uh, this letter home saying that we've decided that one of us should stay. Over the subsequent years, did your dad stay in touch with his brother Jack? Jack actually came back in the end because Auntie Rose and Uncle Jack took in um, uh, Elsie, the girl, so he's always stayed in touch with his brother, but did he stay in touch with auntie Rose and uncle Jack? Yes. That's yes. the confusing thing is uncle Jack and his brother was called Jack as well, but that's yeah. what it was. but <laughs> did he, did he stay in touch with them? And, and, um, I, I don't know the answer to that question. And it's the question that people always ask me, but I don't think he did. Right. I think he must've written them a couple of letters and then, you know, how lives we, you know, there wasn't modern communication. No, and I think they just, must have drifted apart yeah but you know so but you asked me are there stories that i missed out well if you were doing a stage version of this it could only last two hours yes yeah and there was a book of dad wrote the book called kisses on a postcard as well uh and so i mined that and i mined the old um radio play the original radio play and in the end i decided that um Rather than try and keep it to two hours, I would just put everything in. Yes, and that's why it's so long—four and a yeah. half hours—and episodic. And retrospectively, I just wish I knew more stories of the time because I'd put more in. Because it's just there's just so many wonderful episodes. You've got many,
0: many characters, lovable characters, um, both animal and and human. One of my favourites was Granny Peters that uh, I've nicknamed everyone's favourite grandma. And she's just such a lovely old lady. But can you tell me a little bit of background to her?
1: Well, Granny Peters was an old Cornish lady who lived in the same row of cottages. And uh, in one episode in the story, uh, you know, I think Dad described her as half mad, half witch or something like that. But she was a senile old Cornish lady. And she'd had like, I think she'd had nine sons or something like that yeah. and she would lost she just gradually lost all of them oh you know one was killed by a railway uh, one another was killed in the boer war you know she was kept talking about the war yes and the war she was talking about was the boer war <laughs> yes yeah uh and but anyway there's a wonderful episode uh in the in the story where dad and his brother they go and try and steal her gooseberries yeah and they get caught and they have to go and apologise to her, and they they sort of have to sit with her. And Granny Peters is played by Marsha Warren, who's you know double award, double Olivier award-winning actress, and she uh. was wonderful in the role. And it's it's a great scene. And and then at the end of the scene, we play this this lovely folk song that was um we that Martin adapted, and it was sung by this uh, a girl called uh, Daisy Mortimer from um she's from Dulwich, but she sings this song. And, I don't know, You do you want to play a little extract from the scene of Granny Peters or perhaps play There Was An Old Lady's Skin and Bone, because it's a, a beautiful song?
0: I think we could do both, really. Um, we'll do a little bit of Granny Peters, where she slobbers all over the children, showering them with love and kisses. And uh, then we'll do the skin and bone one, should we?
1: Perfect. All right. One day... Jack and I joined Frank Emmett and Elsie behind the row of outside privies that sat across the foot of the gardens of railway cottages. Our plan? A raid on Granny Peters' gooseberry bushes. Granny Peters, to us half funny, half witch, lived at number four. She was Jimmy Peters' nan, and her gooseberry bushes were laden with golden, hairy goosegogs.
2: Look, Frank. It's best if Elsie keeps watch here and we crawl across the paths. Yeah, I vote for that. I want to come with you. You can't. Why?
9: Because you're useless. You mean you are, you sod. You always make a noise
2: or get seen or something. I can't help it if people notice me. Well, Terry's the smallest. He can get right in under the prickles and pass out the goosegogs. Yeah, no one will see me. Then you and me, Frank, can get round the back there and get them all there. OK. And Elsie can stay by the corner and see all the windows and if anybody comes to the bogs. I'm not staying there, it smells. Stop moaning or we won't give you any. Don't want any. All right, come on. Terry first.
1: I suppose any plan that included an unwilling Elsie was doomed. We wriggled round the odorous privies on our stomachs, with an excessive secrecy that would have excited attention from a mile away. We boys slid among the bushes, while Elsie kept watch, and communed with her changing body. In the cocoon of the gooseberry bushes, it was both cosy and painful. No matter how careful I was, they pricked.
2: Come on, Terry! Pass them out. I am. He's eating them. Oh, I only had a few. Hey, you. You boys. What's your too
4: Oh, no. That's her. Well, what's he doing in there? Where's Elsie? She's
2: scarping. Why, 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 why are you lying down in there? Ow, I'm stuck. You're squashing them all. I can't help it. It hurts.
1: Frank ran for it. Jack stayed with me.
2: Come out, you two. Out of there a minute.
8: So you two tried to steal Granny Peter's gooseberries, did you?
2: Sorry, Uncle Jack.
8: Well, did you?
2: We were only scrumping.
8: Scrumping? What's that then? Cockney for stealing?
2: Scrumping is when it's apples and
7: things. I know
8: what it is.
7: I'll never hold up my head in the street again. Ashamed I am of you both. Poor old Granny Peters. What are we going to do with you two? Dunno. You're going to go into her and say you're sorry to start with, and you take her in some of my rock cakes. Yes, Auntie Rose. You know she do make jam from all her fruit, and she earns her money from it, and she do give us a jar every Christmas, and then you steal them. Sorry. If you wanted some gooseberries, why didn't you just ask? Were you hungry? No. Don't we feed you?
6: Yes, Uncle Yay Jack. Of course
7: You take her my rock cakes, and you go in there and you ask her if there's anything you can do to help her.
2: Granny Peters! Perhaps she's out. She's never out. Granny Peters! (laughs) Sus, Granny Peters. Jack and Terry. The boys from Auntie Rose's. Oh, all oh, the backies. Oh, all right, my buddies We brought you some rock cakes from Auntie Rose. Auntie Rose. Oh, her
4: rock cakes. Oh, get him here, I'll salt them in my tea. Come in, come in. So, you boys be from Lennon, eh? Yes. Oh, I was to there once with my Jimmy. Yeah, too many horses everywhere. Horses all round you. where some Plymouth trousers. Uh, oh, come here, my pretty. Come,
7: come, come closer. Oh, no. Come on. Go on.
4: She, she smells there. funny. Oh, you some rare and no mistake. No, don't, don't wriggle. I won't hurt, Ah, You mind me of my belly. Kinga, they called. it all down up one street. Kinga, you're by me. You want to join the army? Did. Auntie Rose uh, sent us. Oh, Billy, my firstborn, my handsome. Where are you two now? Uh, uh, South Africa, he went, and the boys shot him. There's his medals. I mean, he weren't simple. The army took him so couldn't have been, could he? He never hurt no woman. They made, they led him on. Cos they fought not he. You wouldn't hurt a fly, would you, my handsome? She
2: won't let me go. Don't worry. I think she's alright.
4: His father, he was the simple one. I had eight for me. All oh, gone to God, they took them all. Three in the war, two when they was little, like you, my booty. Mm-hmm. Henry, he went on the railway working on the line down the valley. They threw a bottle from a train and hit his lovely face. A oh. four twelves are nozzled to us. Oh... I outlived all me own children, tis not natural, tis, tis wonderful, lonely, I can tell ye.
2: Isn't Jimmy Peter's dad your son? Oh,
4: oh yeah, yeah, oh, I forgot he, yeah, well, I don't count he's still here.
2: Oh. If you let me go... I'll take your jug and get some water from the pump. But it is still have full a minute. Auntie Rose said we got
4: to. Oh, oh, Auntie Rose, yeah. Rock cakes, they
2: well named all right. And we're sorry we tried to steal your gooseberries.
4: You you want some gooseberries? You got one then. They'd be handsome now. You look take, take that bowl and you bring me some. I'll make
2: you some jam. <laughs>
4: Oh, yeah. Come here, little one. Let me touch your hair. Oh. I
2: got to go. Auntie Rose is calling.
4: Give me on. a kiss, Billy. Oh. Henry, give your mum a kiss before you go to work.
2: We'll bring you some gooseberries in this bowl, Granny Peters. Come on, quick. Oh. oh. The twelve to Slazzle
4: shoddy.
1: Her ethereal, quavering voice Bloody. still echoes in my head to this day.
5: <sighs> there was a lady all skin and bone She lived in a corner. All mm.
0: That was Granny Peters, everyone's favourite grandma. Bless her. And um, talking about sort of non-human, lovable characters, is there another scene where your dad meets a baby elephant at the circus?
1: Oh, that's a great scene. I forgot that scene. It's lovely. Yeah, he... he, um, I mean, by all means... You could just play that scene if you like, but yeah. the the story is is that for some reason, everyone in his class uh, went to the circus and he didn't get a ticket and he felt massively lo- left out. Yes. And then he managed to get down there, but they wouldn't let him into the circus. So he was just stood outside twiddling his thumbs while everyone was laughing and cheering inside the circus. You know, when you're a little boy left out and he was the loneliest boy in the world. Yes. And then this baby elephant comes out of the circus right up to dad and dad just had this encounter with this baby elephant and it's a a lovely scene
0: okay well we'll we'll play that one and let people listen to it
1: a circus came to Liscard
2: I love circuses. Do you think they have lions? And tightrope walkers. And acrobats. Right, on the bus, everyone, all
7: those who've booked a seat, show your tickets. Good, good. On you get. Let's see your ticket, Terry. I haven't got one. Well, why not? Did Auntie Rose and Uncle Jack not give you the money? I don't know. Well, you can't come if you haven't got a ticket. Frank Emmett, good. Muriel Osborne, Good.
1: I was mortified at being left out of this treat of all treats. As the bus sped away, I was left alone to contemplate my loneliness.
2: You're home early. What's up? Everybody's gone to the circus early from school. Well, why haven't you gone? I didn't have a ticket. Well, why not? Because I didn't have the money. I didn't know I was supposed to ask you. Now there's no bus and the train will be too late.
7: Yeah, boy. You can't miss the circus. Let's make you a sandwich. Here's a shilling and sixpence, that's your ticket and your train home. Now off you go and thumb a lift. Here. Yeah. Oh, thanks,
2: Auntie Rose.
1: I ran out of the house towards Dob Walls and through Dob Walls. No cars. Out of Dob Walls, down the long hill and up the long drag past Moonwater. Still no cars. Four miles I covered before I arrived at the circus in a field near the station. I'm sorry, my handsome, you can't come in. Show's already started and the marquee's fall anyway. I've just run all the way here, from Double Boys, please! All the way from Double Boys? You, my little Dalmatian. I can't, my dear, more than my job's worth. I stood there with no breath, gasping with exhaustion and frustration, only just holding down my sobs. As my heartbeat slowed down, I wandered about, listening to the laughter and applause from inside. More gall to my soul. Someone was selling candy floss, unheard of during the war. It tasted filthy, even to my eager tongue. I went round the back and saw some dejected-looking ponies, which I tried to pat.
2: Here, out of it you! I was only patting them!
8: Hop it! You ain't allowed out the back!
1: I moved resentfully away. And then, just as I was about to give up, a baby elephant came out of the marquee, right where I was standing. This creature, with its huge ears and searching trunk, seemed like a miracle. I swear it glowed. Hello. It stood shorter than I did, so must have been very young. I stared at it in wonder.
2: Can I pet it? Of course you can, my dear.
1: I felt the sensitive top of its trunk explore my clothes, this magical, gigantic pet.
2: He's looking for my sandwich, I think. He's a she, and she likes the sandwich all right, don't you, my pet? Can I give her some? What's in it? Cucumber. Oh. Here, let me see. That'll be all
6: right.
1: I broke my sandwich into the smallest pieces I could and fed them bit by bit to the elephant, who stood there, waiting for more. Its trunk running over my clothes and hands, thrilling me with its touch. Not always gentle, always demanding.
2: What's her name? Gertrude. (laughs) That's a funny name. Hello Gertrude. She's finished all my sandwich. What else does she like? Fruit. Like what? Apples. She loves an apple, she does. Can I get her one? Of course.
1: I raced out of the field to the nearest greengrocer's, still just open bought a pound of apples and tore back. The elephant was gone. Lungs bursting again, I nearly cried with frustration when it reappeared from the tent, having just done another turn. It headed straight for me. I nearly died with joy. He remembers,
2: you see. Elephants do remember. Here you go, Gertrude.
1: I fed it the apples until told by the woman that that was enough.
2: i got to take her away now. Bye, Gertrude. I'll see you soon.
1: I patted my new best friend goodbye, (laughs) tried and failed to hold her trunk for a moment, watched her amble away, spent my last remaining pennies on a bag of chips, had my last apple and, penniless, walked contentedly home.
0: Dominic, we'll come to a close now then and I will say thank you so much for sharing all your insights and memories about this project and I thoroughly hope it goes on to doing something in the theatre in the coming
1: years. Well, Paul, thank you very much for having me and um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and, uh, you know, I really enjoy your podcast and I like how thorough you are uh, about the sort of details of history. Those are the sort of things that get lost and uh, just those little details that make history come to life. And this is almost the most important thing I've ever done in my life. And all I want is for as many people as possible to listen to Kisses on a Postcard, because I just think it is the most beautiful and powerful story. And I want it to, I want as many people to be familiar with that story as possible. Dominic,
0: uh, thank you for those kind words about my podcast good man um do you want to give your own show a plug in some shape or form website etc
1: you can get the podcast at kisses on a all the links to the various podcast apps are there and if you want a cd you can also order well i say a cd it's a four cd pack you can order that at kisses on a postcard as well kisses on a i should say okay thank you well kisses on a
0: Well, that's the formal end of the interview, but I've got a few more things to say and there's quite a bit more material, as you might expect, on the Fighting Through podcast, so stick around for the PS. Dominic, thank you so much for the massive efforts you've put into this project and congratulations for an absolutely thrilling rendition of your dad's precious memories I've grown to absolutely love Kisses on a Postcard, each and every song and scene. And listener, if you've enjoyed this episode, get yourself over to kissesonapostcard.com to get all the links and check out the full glorious four and a half hour show on your favourite podcast player. And if you do, Please follow or subscribe, because that gets the show higher in the rankings than almost anything you can do. We've got a mighty PS in a minute, featuring the Plymouth bombing, with Jack dicing with death, looking for a lost knife, and our vaccy chums playing dodgems with a doomed Dornier aircraft. So... Like, write, rate, review, or share Dominic's show, howsoever it pleases you. Kisses on a postcard. dot com. Needless to say, if there's any more news forthcoming about kisses, you'll hear it on the Fighting Through podcast first. Thank you so very much for your support and for making the time to listen to me. Enjoy everything, and please do hear me next time. P. S. So. If you're listening to this in the cinema finish your hot dog and slurp up the rest of your Kiora orange and settle down to enjoy the finale and if you're in the theatre just pretending then snuggle down into your comfy seat hold the hand of anyone next to you even if you don't know them and enjoy these final thrilling bits from Kisses on a Postcard He's the Plymouth chapter, for starters.
1: Jack and I used to go shopping with Auntie Rose once a week in Liscard, four miles away, the next stop on the train. But what really filled us with excitement were the trips to Plymouth. We saved for these trips. I for dinky toys, models of our planes, tanks and ships with which we played endlessly, sea battles, aerial dogfights and ground warfare. Jack for army cap badges. His collection was quite something. He must have had almost all the regiments of the British Army, over a hundred, mounted on a green baize cloth. I learnt the geography of the country gazing at those badges, with their romantic names and symbols. The Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, the Black Watch, the Green Howards from Yorkshire, the White Horse of our own Royal West Kents, the Hunting Horn of the Duke of Cornwall's Light Infantry, the Skull and Crossbones of the 17th-21st Lancers, with Death or Glory scrolled underneath. We were in the middle of a war for our survival, and these were our saviours. That 22-mile train ride to Plymouth was glorious. The spectacular views, especially down the Loo Valley line that went beneath us like a model. And then, the Saltash Bridge, built by Isambard Kingdom Brunel, it announced. What a name. With an armed sentry at either end, it was the crossing point back into England. The sight of the warships, low, grey and stark, indescribably menacing, lying in the Tamar Estuary and Devonport docks. Then Plymouth and the Hoe, the statue of Drake with his bowls, a stylish reminder of how to reduce the enemy to size. And then the pasties that tasted of potato and pepper, but had never seen meat. Auntie Rose presided over these expeditions with two loaded shopping bags that we all struggled with as she led us first from queue to queue, then from shop window to shop window. One evening, We were waiting in Plymouth North Road Station for a train home that was very late. Jack had bought a miniature sheath knife in its leather sheath.
2: Cool, it's terrific. Don't touch, it's mine.
1: He kept taking it from the shopping bag, unclipping the press stud fastening round the handle and half withdrawing the glistening blade. Our heads bent over it as we experimented how to hand it from his belt at the side or secretly at the back like a hunter's knife. It was a formidable purchase. The date was March twentieth, nineteen forty-one. It was a Thursday, and the first of the two nights on which the Luftwaffe wiped the centre of Plymouth from the face of the earth.
7: Come on, boys, put that knife away till the proper time. When you get home, you play with that. Not in here. You'll lose it. Oh, dear! What's that?
2: Air raid sirens,
7: but they're a long way away. All passengers in the subway,
8: please. Nice. At once Move along, please All passengers in the subway
6: At
7: once Come on, my dears Down under the stage! Come on, boys Bring that back, Jack I got this one, come on Come here, Teddy, by me Come on, down these steps We'll be all right down here Are they bombs? No, there are guns shooting the jerrys down Bombs whistle All right Let's sit on this bench here By me, boys What are you looking for in those bags, Jack? My knife. I can't find my knife. What? My new sheath knife. It's gone. Perhaps it's in this bag. Here, let's see.
1: But Jack was gone, racing down the subway out of sight.
2: I left it in the buffet. Oh, I left it in the buffet. Come back. Come back, boy. You can't. It's gone. Here's the knife. Auntie Rose, I've got it. It's here. It was in the bag! Jack! I've got the knife! Jack! Teddy! Come
1: I back. set off after Jack, oh, ignoring Auntie Rose's agonised voice, as the tumult outside grew louder. I flew between the huddled groups of people, turned a corner and stared up the slope towards platform level. No Jack. I started to run up the slope. Then... <laughs> the explosion stopped me. I stood terrified and then started bawling near the bottom of the slope, afraid to move, when hands grabbed me and pulled me back round the corner. Here, boy, come here. I got you. You can't stand out there. Let me go.
2: My brother. My brother's up there. What? Your brother? He lost his knife. What are you talking
1: about? Before I could say more...
2: Oh, boy, come here.
1: Auntie Rose enfolded us both.
7: You gave me heart failure, you did. Both of you.
1: God knows what hell we had put her through in those few moments. How do you explain to their parents that your two young charges ran up into the bombing and were blown to bits looking for a sheath knife that was in your shopping bag all the time?
2: I was going to go up, Terry. It was only you that stopped me. So was I.
1: I affirmed, equally inaccurately. We spent the night sitting on a bench while the inferno raged above us. My principal memory, after the initial knife panic, was that no matter how I shook with fright, the bench, which sat about ten people, always quaked at a different rhythm and I couldn't get my bottom synchronised to the common tempo of terror. The next morning, March 21st, was the first day of spring. We stood among broken glass and debris on the platform until a train took us across the miraculously unscathed Saltash Bridge. Plymouth was ablaze. Smoke hung everywhere. But the warships still lurked, apparently intact in Devonport docks and the Tamar estuary, out of the way. At each station, crowds of people met the train to ask for news or just to stare at us.
2: Is
7: anything left? How many killed? Have they sunk the fleet?
1: And when we reached Double Boys, there at the end of the platform stood Uncle Jack, looking ridiculously small and vulnerable, till he saw the three of us waving wildly from a window. His shut face burst open into a grin that threatened to tear it in two. He hurried down the platform, took her shopping bags from her, put them on the ground and hugged Auntie Rose. Oh, dear God. there you are. There you are. It was a rare enough event to see them touching, let alone this display.
7: Of course
2: I am. What do you think? People are watching.
7: You looked after a boy's to do for me?
2: It was terrific, Uncle Jack. I was ever so scared.
1: I'll bet you were, boy. (laughs) I was too.
7: I thought I'd got rid of
8: you all at last, but there's no peace for the wicked, is there?
1: All of that day, in the sky to the east hung a pall of smoke which turned to a red glow at dusk. And then the following night, the bombers came back.
9: Auntie Rose, Jack, Terry, are you in? What is it, Elsie? What is it? Auntie Rose, Uncle Jack, come quickly, come. The Germans are bombing Plymouth again. You can see it from the tour. What are you
7: talking about? You can't see Plymouth from
9: the... Quick! Come on! It's dark out there. How can you see? You can see all the flashes and searchlights and hear the bombs and... My friends are there, Auntie Rose. In Plymouth. My mum might be. Everyone.
7: Don't worry, my love. Your mum's in Portsmouth with that sailor.
2: Auntie Rose, Elsie, come on. Everybody's going up the tower to sea. Come on. It's exciting.
7: You take your coat and cap and tell Jack too. My Jack. Both Jacks. Oh come on. Do you want to stop here, Elsie, with me? I don't want to miss it. Will you come too? All right, girl. Yeah, put this on. Your mum wouldn't want you to catch your death, now, would she? Yeah, we'll take these coats for the boys. Come on. Oh,
8: God, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. it's not possible.
7: Will
2: anything be left? Look. Look at that one. Look. Every one of them caught in the searchlights. Foster, oh, yeah, oh, oh, no. tis hell on earth. Tis the inferno come to punish us. Not us, Miss Sam. Was it like that in the trenches, Uncle Jack? In the first war? A,
0: a bit, boy. Only we were soldiers.
7: My mum's not there. Is she Auntie Rose? Of course she's not, my lovely. She's in Portsmouth with a friend. Earth's crying for her mother. Her mother never gave her a minute's thought. Oh my.
2: Oh my. Look at all those rockets going up!
7: That'd be
9: the
1: Royal Navy in Devonport Docks giving them what for? Come on, boys! Oh, hey, hey,
8: calm down, children, that's enough.
2: Look at those fires! The old sky is red. Anyone survive in that? Uncle Jack, is that what's happening in London to our mum and dad?
7: No, no, not nearly so. London's enormous. Plymouth's small. It just
0: looks worse.
2: Oh no! It's why we're all vackies.
3: <laughs> Abide with me. FAST FALLS THE EVENTIDE THE DARKNESS DEEPENS LORD WITH ME ABIDE WHEN
1: Most of East Cornwall and South Devon watched Plymouth burn for nearly a week, under a pall of smoke by day, and that red glow at night, like a false dawn. The fires could not be put out. They were beyond the scope of the fire services of several cities to deal with. Then, a month later, the Germans came back, and the whole business was repeated.
2: Auntie Rose, Auntie Rose, look! Look! I see it, boy!
7: All oh, that smoke! That's the third night in a road that's been bombed!
2: Oh, they ever put it out? No, no! Over there, see? There's a German plane! Look! It's ever so low! Where, boy? Oh, don't be
7: daft! Where are the swastikas? It's Red Cross, look!
2: See, the cross is on it! It's not, it's a Dornier 17! A flying pencil!
1: I knew from my dinky toys. The plane was barely above us, following the line of the railway.
2: They're German crosses, see? It's turning towards us. If they were Germans, they'd shoot us. Oh, you could see one of them, plane. There, he's looking straight at us. He's the gunner. Look, one engine's not working. He's waving back. Wave, boy. Wave to him. woo I think he's going to crash. They were Germans. They'd shoot us. Now, the other one stopped. Look, it's coming down in the valley. Oh my god. Do you think they were Germans? Of course they were. It was a light bomber. Why didn't they parachute? I think they were too low. Those poor boys. I saw them young like my Gwyn. Why didn't they shoot at us if they were Germans? I think he must have been a Saxon, one of Uncle Jack's friends.
1: None of the German airmen survived the crash. The kids danced with glee in the village street, but I never stopped wondering about the waving gunner who had decided not to shoot a middle-aged woman and a little boy when they were sitting ducks.
2: Have you got any gum, chum?
3: (laughs) Hey, you speak American?
2: That American? You dig? What?
1: You talk the jive, Clive?
2: My name's not Clive, it's Alan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We kids, we loved them. We wore their hats, chewed their gum, held their strange hands and ate their candy. We rode on their jeeps, tooth-loosening joyrides across the fields. We drilled with their rifles, and learned their slang.
8: Hello, how are you?
3: Good day.
1: We're soldiers from the U.S.
3: of A. Pleased to meet you, sir. Pleased to meet you, ma'am. Pleased to meet you, pretty lady. We're here for Uncle Sam, at your service this fine day. Any questions, please Please just say.
8: Have you
2: crossed the Golden Gate? Have you climbed the Empire State? Have you ever smelt a scum? Why'd you call a tramp a bum? have steam trains? Can you tell me, chum? One last question, have you got any gum? Got any gum, chum?
8: We might have some.
2: Any gum, chum?
8: Now don't all scrum.
2: Any gum, chum?
8: It sure is yum. You can chew it till your mouth goes numb. Sure is fun
2: And you go chum
8: To the chewing hum
2: Yummy yum yum
8: Rum pum pum
2: And And that is how you do the the chewing hum. hum
8: refrigerators, oranges and peaches, eagles, buffalo, bears and avocados, a city called Chicago, frightening tornadoes, tropics, desert and snow. We've got rodeos, the ranches, grapes upon the branches. We drink lots of Coca-Cola and there's ice to crush. We've got Mormons, we've got Quakers, we've got towering skyscrapers, but no privies for us, our lavatories flush.
2: Do you drink tea?
8: No sorry.
2: Speak Cherokee
8: Not frequently
2: Do you play billiards?
8: We shoot pool
2: Would you like a game of cricket? We
8: don't understand the
1: rules
2: Do you know Clark Gable is a really dumb? Have you ever had a Hershey? Have you hit a home run? Please give me an answer, can you tell me, Chum? One last question, have you got any gum? Got any gum, Chum?
8: We might have some now don't all scrum. Any gum, it sure is yum. You can chew it till your mouth goes numb.
2: Go any gum, chug.
8: It sure is fun.
2: Any gum, chug.
8: Do the chewing hum. Yummy
2: yum yum.
8: Rum pum um. And that
2: is how you do the, do the chewing hum. hum.
1: Elsie liked them too.
9: I think they're lovely boys. My mum ran off with a jolly jack-tar and left me all at sea. This forgotten part of England has been a cage to me. I want to be a G.I. bride I want to travel far and wide We'll live without a care The folk will stop and stare I want to be a G.I. bride I want to wed a swell G.I. I want to kiss this place goodbye We'll be so glamorous and oh so amorous I want to be a G.I. bride He'll say gee win. He'll buy me fancy clothes and nylon underwear We'll dance the jitterbug and do the Susie Q We'll have a big white house and some children too I want to be a G.I. bride Before you know, we'll be stateside We'll make such a splash as we spend all our cash I want to be a G.I. bride
3: To let us ride I know the sun will shine And you will look divine So will you be my G.I. bride? Well I could be your swell G.I. And to America we'd fly The world would be so fine When you at last are mine So will you be my G.I. bride? We'll watch baseball I'll take you to my mom to
9: eat her apple pie We'll
8: drink root beer, we'll travel far We'll go to Coney Island
9: in our motor car I want to be a G.I. bride And then together we'll be tied At some point you'll see they will come back for me And then I really must decide It doesn't matter who I marry Or Larry. I only want to be
2: a G.I. How many kisses? I vote three. What would mum and dad think of it here? Don't know. No electricity. They wouldn't like that. I don't care. There's no bathroom. I don't care. Outside, What the bot's for? Don't you see? I vote one. I vote three. Just one bed, got to share, all squashed up in it. She's mad. Auntie Rose, what do you say? She says we're things, but she's okay. Not Uncle Jack, though he plays rough. Called my hair, called me Scruff. Kisses on a postcard, what do we do? I still say three. Well, I say two. Kisses on a postcard, three, two, one. Better be quick or it won't. Lesson three, Mum and Dad will think it's rotten here. They'll be worried. Yeah, well, there's the trains, they're good. And the station, right next to us. That's terrific. Hey wait, I've just remembered. Hens! What about hens? Eggs, stupid. Real eggs. Not that horrible powdery stuff. Eggs for you, eggs for me, eggs for breakfast, and tea. Poached or baked, scrambled or Mum only set up to three. But don't you see, the more kisses we put, the more happy they're going to be. Yeah, it's terrific here really, isn't it? Like being on holiday, only there's no scene. We don't have to stop at four. Let's do hundreds! Yeah! Kisses on a card, one by one. All round the edges, this is fun.
4: Give me a kiss, Billy. Oh, Henry, give your mum a kiss before you go to work.
0: I just could not resist giving you that last little um, kiss from Granny. And I can just imagine if this ever goes to the theatre and they do a, a curtain call and, you know, all, all the cast are standing there. And um, I can... <laughs> I can picture everybody being cheered by the front row and then for her encore, Granny walks onto the stage and gives everybody a kiss to rapturous applause. Oh, dear. I'm Paul Cheel saying bye-bye now.
1: And I'm Dominic Frisby saying goodbye and enjoy Kisses on a Postcard.